0: Isn't that right, Justin? And so this morning, this series is is really just kind of about encouraging. It's kind of about helping you recognize the importance uh, of having a tank filled with faith, a a heart filled with expectation. Um, Let me say it this way. Many people go through their life with with, with unrealistic expectations, and they end up getting disappointed. I think that we should go through our life with expectancy, expecting God to do amazing things. And not so much putting unrealistic expectations on other people, but just expecting God to, to do what He said He would do. Expecting God to be a God of integrity. Expecting God to be a God of His Word. Somebody say amen. amen. So today, as we kick this series into place, I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm going back to the basics. I'm just preaching faith. It's not, it's not high-level theology. It's not having to connect the dots for you to be able to see uh, covenantally Jesus in the Old Testament or anything like that. It's just really about leaning into God. Uh, it's it's really about realizing that you you can't operate on spiritual fumes in your gas tank. Now some of you might have driven into the parking lot this morning uh, literally on spiritual fumes and you just kind of rolled and in, coasted into this place and you need some encouragement. You need your tank filled. And I, and I believe that we sure, certainly should be topping off everybody's spiritual tanks. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Romans 10, 17, hearing by the word of God. And so as we preach the word and what the word says and just, just show you the amazing promises of God and give you testimonies of how he's done it for other people, our faith rises and we start to think, well, if God did it for him, maybe he'll do it for me too. And, and, and our faith starts to crank up. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, I, I believe it's verse 6, it says, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you're going to please God, you're going to have to have some of what? Everybody say, yes. Faith. And he says it's impossible to to come to God except you believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So God will show up and bless you if you'll just press in to seek His face. If you'll just learn to lean in to His strength even in the place where you are weak. He'll show up and He'll show out in your life. How many of you need a little bit of that this morning? You know, I've, I've run out of gas enough times in my life out in... Uh, difficult places, places where I was a little scared and figured I needed to have, I, I wished I'd brought my gun with me in a couple places because I didn't really know what was going to greet me. And, and I'm old enough now and wise enough and have walked enough miles and, and bought enough expensive gas cans at little holes in the road along the places and bought a $20 gas can to put $2 worth of gas in it. <laughs> that, that, that now if I'm out on a trip, when that gas tank gets down to a quarter of a tank, I start looking for a station. I don't wait just to see how far I can push it. You know it might be cool when you're in your teens, but I'm gonna tell you when you get to be old and fat like I am, you don't want to walk any more than you have to, especially in this hedicious heat. If you don't know what that means, that's a that's an adjective de- described as the word Hades. It's Hadesious outside. I don't know if you knew that. I'm thankful for the spring that we had around here, but folks, the dog days of summer are here. And how, how many of you thankful the air conditioning is working in this building? Everybody say thank you, Brennan and David. They've been on the roof replacing a, f- a motor. That, you know, they said it was cooling. It just didn't have any ability to push it. That's a whole lot like our spiritual lives sometimes. We've, we, we, we can see the promise of God, but we just don't have any ability to push it on out. Faith. Everybody say, I need some faith. faith. Now, whether it's gas in your tank or Freon in your air conditioner, everybody knows we need to be full. We need to be filled with faith. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this series is just about learning that in our ordinariness, God can bring His extra. And Summer always brings blockbuster movies where you see a kid who got bit by a spider in the 14th narration of that same story, and here comes Spider-Man or Iron Man or, um, you know, whatever, all the X-Men. Pastor Chip was here and we had plenty of time, and so we went and took in X-Men Apocalypse. And we enjoyed that movie, seeing all of those Avengers and heroes all come together, and every one of them were extraordinary people with amazing gifts. And as amazing as those, that story is, it has really nothing to do with reality, because we go and watch that and we think what it would be like if we had those kinds of superpowers, if I could just take the sunglasses off and just burn down anything that in my path that I, that I didn't like. <laughs> Thankful to God that I don't have that. <laughs> Couple of people in this room ought to be thankful I don't have that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I truly I don't I'm just you know when I try to be funny it's not. When I'm just myself, people laugh and sometimes I don't know why they're laughing. (laughs) I'm having a good time already, whether y'all are or not. Pastor Haley was supposed to start this series, and she had some things come up, and so she said, will you just kick it off for me? And I said, yes, I'll be glad. And this is where where my prayer, and I was seeking the Lord, "Where do you want me to say as we open the series, where do you want me to go with this? And in my daily devotional time, because I believe in keeping my tank topped off every day and not just driving it down to the fumes. And so in the middle of the week, I was entering the book of Acts, and I saw this passage and it's like it jumped off at the page at me about two of the disciples named Peter and John who have now become apostles. Disciples are student learners. Apostles are basically graduates from the learning university of Jesus and they've been sent on a mission. Apostello means to send on a mission. And so they are apostles of God now. They have. Gone through the process of what it means to become uh, a a person sent on purpose by Jesus. These are ordinary dudes. Um, Before I get into the message this morning, I want you to see the one thing that I really want to grab hold of. And this is the, the, the bottom line of the whole message. Read it out loud with me, please. The Holy Spirit is the it factor that will set you apart from everyone else. Read it out loud one more time. The Holy Spirit is the it factor that will set you apart from everyone else, when you when you look at these guys, you see just average, everyday, typical, normal dudes. One of them's the tax collector. You got a couple of them that are fishermen. Um, they they're literally coming from just about every sector of society in and around Nazareth. Capernaum, Galilee, particularly is the region that Jesus shows up and starts walking down the boat dock and looking at people and saying, hey, come follow me. And crazily enough, Peter lays down the nets and he gets up and follows Jesus. Now, let me just say this. These guys were ordinary. At the same time, there was probably something that we should stop and think about because these were actually businessmen. They had a little bit uh, of some capital, some substance because, you know, they owned a fishing boat. And nets to catch fish with, and so somebody, probably dad, maybe granddad, had been in the fishing business and had grown it from, from a pole to a net and a trot line and a small little dinghy to maybe a, a, a pretty good sized fishing boat. I, literally, sailed across the Sea of Galilee, which is really, to call it a sea is a stretch of faith. It's really a great big lake. Um, that's, that's very, very broadly stretched across for miles, but it's just a big lake. And, and, and to think about these guys having all of this equipment and having generations of a family business they were being involved in, and all of a sudden, some, some guy comes walking along with provocative words and says, come follow me, and they drop the nets and get up and go follow him. Now think about this. This is the deliberate joining of the lives of ordinary men to a teacher who's come along who's basically promising them a whole new way of life. His talk about the kingdom of God is something that he says it's available to you. It's within your grasp. It's within within your reach. And if you will come to me, you're tired and weary because of all the religiosity that, that, that the current Jewish system has put on your backs. And you've got not only the laws of the commandments of God, but you have all of these hundreds of fence laws that the Jewish Scribes and Pharisees have put outside the law of God in an attempt to try to help us from not breaking the actual law. So if we can keep it out here, which was more strenuous, more weight, more bondage, then we certainly won't get in and actually break what God has commanded and told us to do and not to do. So it was an interesting day because Jesus comes along and he's talking, telling people, take up, take my yoke upon you because it's easy and my burden is light. Those were the words of religious teachers. Those were the words that Pharisees and Sadducees used. These were were basically uh, uh, admission programs into a university of learning, except we're not talking about sitting in a classroom and looking at a screen and writing on a chalkboard, but we're talking about observing life and the way Jesus lives. They they, they signed on the dotted line and says, yes, we'll commit. The, The tuition is just hanging out with him for the next three years. And so they follow him into the marketplace and they walk with him and they see how he deals with people that are broken, how he treats the disabled and how he responds to women, which were just considered to be property, second-class citizens, chattel, owned by and considered to be less than the humanity that men expressed. And so Jesus is walking along and he's, he's showing liberty and blessing and love and lifting up people that are down. and. He's literally doing what Isaiah the prophet said that that the low places will be made high and the high places will be brought low. And so Jesus is looking for folks that are in the valley and he's lifting them up out of the brokenness and he's seeing people that are on the mountaintop and he's kind of bringing down their pride and self-will and leveling it all out so that the glory of the Lord would be revealed and there would be a pathway, make the way straight for the kingdom of God to come into the lives of those people that he's ministering to. And they're watching how Jesus deals with the religious folk. With You, know, you, you realize it was, Jesus didn't have any, ever have any trouble with sinners. It was not the sinful folk that caused Jesus the problem. It was the religious folk. It was the people on church every Sunday morning, except it was the synagogue. They were the folk that thought they had everything in, in line. They, they paid their bills on time. They drove nice cars and lived in the best neighborhoods. And they looked down their noses at everybody else. Went to the best synagogues. I'm preaching already. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And and, and what I want to tell you is it's so easy to get into a flow, into a particular way of doing life, and you don't even realize it, but, but, but you've already been trapped in the religiosity of the Bible belt. God help us to loosen the buckle on the Bible belt so people can see the reality of the kingdom of God and get past all the nonsense. Yeah, I said it. I sure did. You quote me too. Make sure you quote me right when you go out of here and say, Pastor Michael down at Victory said God's going to loosen the buckle on the Bible belt. Yeah, because I don't think everything under the Bible belt is necessarily of God. What did you just say? Yeah, I'll repeat it again for the hearing impaired. Everything under the buckle of the Bible belt is not a godly thing. It's the same kind of spirit that Jesus was wrestling in his day. You know what the problem? Folk that, folk that cause me trouble are not sinful folk that are broken. They're, they know they're broken. They're ready to get healed. They, wanna, they want God to put their marriages back together. But it's religious folk who think, well, you know what? I, I, I love Pastor Michael's preaching, but they're just, just some of those things I don't like because that's not the way Granny did it. <laughs> well, Granny's dead. You know what? We don't do anything the way we used to do it. God, God does new things. He changes things. Come on, somebody help me a little bit this morning. I didn't preach this part in the first service, but I feel I'm sensing this the direction the Lord's going a little bit different, and I'm going to bring it right back in here. That is, if I could show you by an example today on what discipleship meant in Jesus' day and give you an analogy that would really click with you, there are two vocations that still use these terms a disciple linked to a master teacher in order to be able to learn how to do life the way the master teacher did it these disciples were student learners they were learning the discipline of the master teacher who is jesus so these disciples are being taught the end goal is to be like the teacher Not just to know what the teacher knows, but to do what the teacher does. To live like the teacher lives. And so there were four stages of the disciples walking with Jesus. Jesus did it. Jesus did it and the disciples watched. But then there came a time when the disciples did it and Jesus watched. So we're training these young student learners. But then there finally came a time when Jesus set them loose and sent them on the mission and just the disciples did it. So Jesus' mission was to multiply himself into the lives of otherwise ordinary, mundane, routine, everyday people. So that the kingdom of God could be seen, it could be evident, it could could be advanced outside of the perimeters of all of the religiosity of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees argued about. And so if I, if I could give you this example, it would be like plumbers or electricians. You go to some class time and you learn some things that are principles, but the real training comes when a young apprentice, a young student learner, a disciple, basically hooks up with a master electrician or a master plumber. And isn't it interesting that that young apprentice is called a, does anybody know what he's called? A journeyman because you you know what you do you go on the journey with the master so you've learned some things in class about the vocation that you want to pursue be it plumbing or being an electricity or whatever and so you go with that master electrician and and he begins to teach you while he's wiring this house and he shows you why it has to be coupled with this and how you, what you have to be careful of and the, the main power source is off and, and the way you wire and, and this is how you're going to have to put these things together. And, and, and so you're, he's actually teaching the young journeyman who's on the journey with, who's doing life with him, who's going into the marketplace, who's going on job site with him. Because the real training here is OJT. Who knows what OJT means? On the job training, Okay. So, the master electrician shows the young journeyman, the apprentice, he shows him, this is, this is how you do this. And so he's watching. But there'll come a time when the young journeyman has watched enough that the master will start to say, Now, I want you to do these first two parts of this job when we get on this site, and I'm going to stand there and watch you do it. Remember what was it? Jesus did it. Jesus did it, and the disciples watched. The disciples did it, and Jesus watched, and then finally, the disciples did it. So, okay, we've got the master teacher doing it on site. We've got the master teacher doing it now with a young journeyman who's going with him, and he's watching, or she, he or she, either way. And so, all of a sudden, because there's been some questions that have been answered correctly, and the master basically says, I'm going to let you try this. And so, he backs up, and he watches the young apprentice, him or her, do several things that he's been explaining through several jobs and he or she does a great job at it and before you know it after a couple of years of training and time spent time with the journeyman with the master it comes time when the master says you know what you're a full-fledged validated authenticated I'm signing on the dotted line you are licensed now to do what I do I did it you watched you did it and I watched and now you're you are sent on a mission you can go start your own company, you can go bring power to somebody else, you can plumb somebody's house. Those are the two best examples in American culture that still connect to this idea of the disciples going with Jesus. And when Jesus picked them, they were ordinary dudes Fishermen, salty mouth, cussing. You know, it's not popular in church to realize that, but you, you hung around I've hung around a few fishermen. You know, and, and, and you, 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 you may think, I can't believe he's saying that, but when, when I get to some points in this message today, it's going to get even more real for you because when Jesus picked people, he picked ordinary, ordinary dudes, ordinary guys, people that are broken, people that have struggles, people that are not perfect, and the amazing thing is is that he was able to use every one of them in, in earth-shaking, world-changing kinds of ways. Now, the distinction that we see happening here is when we roll into this text that we just read, uh, something has taken place. Something is very dramatically different with Peter. Matter of fact, Acts 1, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world when he died on the cross. And he's been raised from the dead. He's been walking around everybody for 40 days teaching the infallible proofs of the things of the kingdom of God. And before he ascends to heaven, he tells everybody, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high. Greek word enduo literally means to put on garments. Like I I put on my undershirt this morning and I got up and I put on this shirt and I buttoned it down the front and I, I put my arms through it and I wrapped it around me. So when Jesus said to them, he said, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem, wait, pray until the Holy Spirit wraps around you like a garment. It's something that becomes part of your identity. You put this thing on and it empowers you and it clothes you. And you will be different when you get dressed up in the garments of the Holy Ghost. And so they were given the instructions to wait and so they've been tarrying, they've been waiting, they've been in Jerusalem, they've got a little upper room that they've somehow been able to get a hold of and 120 of them are crowded together all in one accord. That doesn't mean they were in a little four-door car together but it means that they were all... Unified, waiting. Now, I don't know about y'all. I, I, just, I just want to confess to you right now, I just cannot even imagine having a 10-day prayer meeting. I, 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 don't, I, can't even, I don't even want to think about it. I don't have the desire to pray for 10 days. Straight, through. Just notwithstanding the energy it would take me to try to get a handful of y'all to come. I told you i keep it real around here. I mean, just the energy. Come on, God's called us to do this. Can you imagine? I mean, they, they, the Peter's got them all together. They're, up, they're in the upper room. They're praying. They're crying out to God. And here comes one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine days, ten days. Still still, nothing's happened. How long is this thing going to go on? Now, I'm sure they didn't just leave their jobs. They were probably going to work and then coming and hanging out after. And different, different times people are coming in and out. But there's somebody there in the upper room praying continuously. Fifty days after Jesus... Was slain as the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. Pentecost, day of Pentecost comes. It's a special festival, it's a f- harvest of first fruits. They celebrated Passover where the blood was applied in Egypt because God saves you when you're out there in sin, still in the world. Come on, somebody. They were in Egypt when the blood was applied and God brought them out, delivered them by the blood, water, and spirit. They get to the wilderness. God says, Okay, we're three months into this thing. We're going to show you, we're going to have a new feast, we're going to have a new party, we're going to throw a great big party and celebrate the first fruits, this thing called Pentecost. And so 50 days, penta, meaning five or 50, 50 days after Passover, Jesus is already the lamb that was slain. Three days later, he's up out of the ground. He's walking around for 40 days teaching them. He's ascended to heaven. He's given them an, a, an instruction that says, don't leave town until you get, till you get your clothes. Don't leave town until you get endued with the Holy Ghost. And so they're up there praying, And the day of Pentecost fully comes and the Bible says about 9 o'clock in the morning, the first sacrifice, sound of a rushing mighty wind comes and blows through that place. And they're all uh, tongues of fire set down on each of them and they all begin to speak in other tongues. And the people had gathered from all around the whole basin of the Mediterranean Sea because it was a special day in Israel. It was the Feast of Pentecost. It was the Feast of Weeks uh, of the First Fruits of the Harvest. And so they're celebrating, and they're all in town to serve God and to hang out at the temple. And there's such an outrageous, uproarious sound coming out of this upper room over there. I mean, it, let, me, let me just let me just tell you about how it would be. Let's let's walk down Beale Street, and let's be sitting up on the balcony of Alfred's. Now I know some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but we're we're not unholy because we give you just a visual to see here. But I'm, it's a common place and let's, they're up there in that upper room and all of a sudden it just blasts. It's like a sonic boom that's going up out of that upper room out on that balcony at Alfred's and everybody hears they're visiting from all over the world. All the Elvis people are in town, <laughs> dressed strange, with the lamb chop. Anyway, I, don't chase the rabbit. All the folks are in town, everybody's hearing it. All of the people from these different parts of the world are hearing God's name being praised and lifted up in their own language coming up out of that room up there. And so empowerment and boldness comes on and folks are basically trying to call the fire department because they think this thing's on, on fire up there and they come down out of the upper room down to the streets of the city and they all are mocking and laughing claiming that these folks had hit the communion wine a little too early in the morning. <laughs> and Peter stands up and he says, no, 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 no. you guys, these, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. These guys are not drunk as you suppose. They're, they're not drunk on natural wine. Now they've been filled and imbibed with the Holy Spirit. They've got some new wine in them today. But it's the, it's the Holy Spirit. And he starts to preach from the prophet Joel and Peter gets so bold that he stands out there and preaches a little two column message there in, the, in, in my Bible and it sets Jerusalem on fire. 3,000 people get saved all at once and, and repent. Peter's up there preaching and Spirit of God's moving and And so now they've got all these leaders that they're trying to disciple all these new converts. They've got this whole new thing where the church is born in one day in Jerusalem and they're trying their best to try to keep everything together and teach people how to pray and seek the Lord and how to walk with God, how to get their prayers answered, to know the Word, going back and teaching now the Old Testament except now they have new eyes. All of a sudden Jesus begins to explode all over the Old Covenant because that's the only Bible they have. They're writing the one we read now while they're doing it. We're, 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 we have the ability now to look and see what they were doing in this moment, in this transitional period, in this amazing season. And Peter is this just crazy, possessed by God, man of boldness that's just shaken Jerusalem. It's a few days, a few weeks pass, a few months pass, and so they're, they're headed to the temple one day, and Acts 3 opens up, and the very same guy that's been sitting there by the temple gate called Beautiful. It was a beautiful gate, and it was called the Gate Beautiful. Makes sense, okay? Greek word means beautiful. Um, That's a joke. Anyway, um, and so he's sitting there. His family drops him off at that place every day. He's got his little tin cup that he rattles because he's disabled. This is basically like coming off... The interstate at Madison Avenue, and the guy's standing there, and he reaches over and gets the sign that's folded up underneath the edge of the interstate and brings it out and says, hungry, homeless, I'll take something to eat. This is what this guy was doing. And so he, he has to rely on the generosity of everybody who is walking into the temple because he's been lame from his mother's womb. He's about 40 years old. He's never walked before in his life. And his life has been living a subsistence on what he's able to, I guess, maybe guilt out of or... Hopefully somebody would be generous and help him. That's, that's how he's living. Peter and John come walking up that day in Acts chapter 3, and they look at the guy and they said, You know what, sir? We don't have any money. Let me quote the King James. It says, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I unto thee. Now we don't talk that way, so let me translate that for you. I don't have any money to give you, but I got something that'll change your life. If you do you want it, I'll give it to you. Here we go and 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 he said, "Peter and John said, "Look at us, Look on us. Such as we have, we give to you. in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And two miracles happened at once. A forty year old man who had been lame from his mother's womb, the Bible says it was strengthened in his ankles, and he got up and began to leap walking and leaping and praising God. Now, somebody says, yeah, I see one miracle. What's the second miracle? The, sec- the first miracle is that he got healed. The second one is that God taught him to walk in an instant. Do you really believe that, preacher? Oh, I, I would stake my life on it. absolutely do believe that. I believe God is able to do that. I believe that, that, that you need to get your tank filled with faith in a God who's big enough to do what he said he would do. Because you've, you've got stuff in your life that have, has disabled you, that, that has crippled you, that's made you think you couldn't do something that God has called you to do. And you've laid down in that thing and got comfortable in that place. And God says, I want to say to you, what I want to give you is going to change the way you've seen your life. Well, i got about four or five folks that will help me. The rest of you, I'm going to have to raise the dead, I guess, this morning. Am I not preaching hard enough? Come on, somebody. Acts 4. The story that happens is when Peter and John are called before the council because they're upset about it. And this is what I want you to see. Let me read just a little bit from Acts chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Everybody say, greatly annoyed. Now, How many of you know when you start doing stuff that's not on the program, that's out of sync with the religious ideas... The religious folk get annoyed because they don't like change. Don't give me anything new. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, everybody say believed. Many of those who'd heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, church has grown, they're just counting the men. If the men are 5,000, most of them have a woman with them and probably a couple of juniors, a little boy, a little girl, who knows? I mean, we're talking about probably a conservative number of twelve to 15,000 are in the first church of Jerusalem now, okay? On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Verse 10, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Now, you're talking about some boldness. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Everybody say well. Well. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now here's the context, here's the text we just read this morning, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. Everybody say uneducated. Uneducated. Common. Common. Now when we read this one, what does it say? Ordinary with no special training. That's the new living, it's a little easier to understand, okay? Uneducated, common men, just ordinary, everyday folks (laughs) They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Everybody say they've been with Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit is the it factor that sets us apart from everyone else. And so with that today, I want to ask you the question, why be ordinary? Why Why be ordinary? Because God can use ordinary people and make my ordinariness meet his extra and do extraordinary things in For in and through my life and yours too. When I looked up the word, I got to go over here and get my sweat rag because it's running down in my eyes and burning. Forgive me while I take a moment. Is that all right? Ordinary. Listen, I Googled this and it says, with no special or distinctive features, normal, Usual, standard, typical, common, customary, habitual, everyday, regular, routine, average, run-of-the-mill, middle-of-the-road, conventional, unremarkable. How many of you would like to have a review of your life or your job or your work? And these words were used in the review about you. He's so unremarkable, unexceptional, (laughs) undistinguished. Nondescript, colorless, commonplace, humdrum, mundane, unmemorable, pedestrian. Oh, get a couple hundred dollar words now. Prosaic. Quotidian. That sounds like a disease in the intestines. I don't know. Uninteresting. You're just quotidian. Uninteresting. Uneventful. Dull. Boring. Bland. Suburban. Hackneyed. Garden variety. Plain vanilla. Nothing to write home about. And it goes on and on and on and on. I mean, you know, when they looked at them, they knew all those guys were that. Ordinary. Everybody say ordinary. Ordinary. And they were amazed at what was going on that was coming out of the mouths of these guys because they were so filled with boldness and conviction because they'd had no training. They were uneducated, common, ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. But they noticed that they had been what? With Jesus. Now, people, if I can get you to be with Jesus... If I can just get you in the middle of... That's not good grammar, but you hear what I'm saying. If I can get you, get you, G-I-T-C-H-U, get you. Look at him and say, get you some of that. If I can get you to be with Jesus, if you can get you into his presence, if you can learn to not just slide in here on, on, on spiritual fumes on Sunday morning and then leave with a full tank, but learn how to get in the word and top out your tank every day and learn how to Pray. Learn how to get filled with the Holy Spirit and how to worship in your house and uh, on your job and in your family. I'm not talking about going around looking religious and quoting scripture and assaulting people with a rolled up Bible. I don't mean that kind of nonsense. I mean being a real, actually real person but just in your private personal time staying filled up with the Holy Spirit with expectation for God to do something powerful in your life. God will show up and He'll show out and He'll absolutely blow your mind if you'll just put your trust in Him. <laughs> Peter had to get God's perspective because, see, Peter hasn't always been called Peter. He had another name. Does anybody know what Peter's name was before Jesus changed it? Everybody say Simon. Simon means reed, it's that little straw like plant that grows on the shallow edges around the lake or the pond or the stream. It blows with whatever direction that the wind blows. And if someone has the nature of a reed, they're just sort of just demonstrating to you whatever the latest poll is, public opinion. will just be with one group and say one thing and be with another group and say something else and really no backbone, definitely ordinary, humdrum, middle of the road, plain vanilla, mundane routine. Normal, typical people. And Peter is reedy. But Jesus looks at him one day in Acts chapter 16 and he decides that he is going to show Peter how to see things from his perspective. God wants to show Peter that there's something in him that he doesn't even see in himself. And that's the issue here in Acts 16. Jesus asks them as he's walking along with them, doing life together. They're in Caesarea Philippi. It's a very religious place. A lot of idols are worshipped in the area. Jesus asks the question, whom do men say that I am? And they all say, some of them say Isaiah, some of them say Jeremiah, some of them say Elijah the prophet, one of the other prophets. Jesus looks at him and he says, okay, who do you say that I am? And he makes it specific and he points at Peter and he says, Peter, not Peter, Simon. Simon, who do you say that I am? And Simon, I believe with a little bit of confidence says you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus eyes lift and he said wow Peter, wow Simon, I'm going to get it right in a minute. Simon, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you but my father which is in heaven revealed that to you. And he looks at him in a moment and Jesus starts to prophesy. He said from now on you are not Simon Reedy but you are Petros stone, something that's strong, that has strength. Petros, Peter, you are a small stone that will be part of the foundation of this whole new program that I'm going to do in the earth called the Church of Jesus Christ. He said, upon this rock, this time he says not Petros, but Petra, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And Peter all of a sudden got a whole new perspective because Jesus saw something in him that Peter Didn't see in himself. Read that with me. Jesus saw something in Peter that he didn't see himself. And that's God's view of you this morning. You have something in you that you don't even know you have. Get God's perspective. See God's perspective. He sees something in you. I do not believe that it was Peter's ability to endure because, you know, he's going to fail. As a matter of fact, before this lesson ends in this place, in this very religious, multicultural bunch of idols in the region where they were when Jesus was teaching. Before Jesus even finishes that one talk and he starts talking about going to the cross, Peter rebukes Jesus and says, Oh, not so, Lord. And Jesus has to look at the guy who he had just given the gold star for being at the top of the class. And he looked at Peter and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you don't mind the things of God. Wow, you're talking about... Being at the top of the class, and before you can even get a little breath of that mountaintop experience, Peter crashes and burns. But he's got a new name. No more Simon, no more Reedy, but Rock. Rocky. He says, we're going to call you Rocky. Dun dun, 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 Are you with me? You're not going to be called Simon Reedy anymore, but he said, I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to call you Rocky because I see something on the inside of you that you're going to lead the people. Second thing that I want you to see this morning is that the way God trains us and prepares us, the school of the wilderness, the school of life, the school of hard knocks that he takes us through, the OJT that we learn from the master teacher as we're the journeyman going along with him, many times is that we have to be broken. It comes down to the end of three and a half years of ministry and Jesus is hunted. Judas walks in to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus had made at the Last Supper and he identifies Jesus with a kiss and all of a sudden Jesus is taken into custody. Peter's forgotten what Jesus said to him at that same table. Oh, no, no, we're going to rise up and we'll protect you, we'll stay with you wherever you go, Lord, we're going to be with you to the end. And Jesus, in eyes of mercy, looks at Peter and he said, Peter, before before the rooster crows tonight." In the morning, you will have denied me three times. And the same man that Jesus gave a new name and said, I'm gonna call you Rocky before the night was over with, stood by a fire outside the ruler's house where Jesus was involved in one of three mock trials, false witnesses lying about him, being beaten and bruised and spat upon, throwing a purple robe around him and calling him king You know, literally beating him with whips, spitting on him, blindfold, crown of thorns. If you're the king, tell us. If you're really the prophet, tell us who just hit you. I mean, all kinds of mockery going on. Peter's outside looking into the ruler's house. And one of the servant girls recognizes him, and he says, you were one of them. You're one of the disciples with Jesus. And Peter, on that spot, cursed Now, he's a disciple of Jesus. He he took God's name in vain. He used some four-letter words. He went back to his old salty fisherman language. He used some language in an attempt to try to convince all those with an earshot of that servant girl who who was saying, you're one of them. She said, your speech betrays you. You sound like them. You're from Galilee. I know that you're one of his disciples. And Peter, angry, cursed, Whatever you want to fill in the blank with every bit of just nasty Navy sailor talk because Peter was a fisherman and he curses and he denies Jesus. Jesus is carried away. The next thing they see by morning is he's carrying his cross up to Golgotha and he's been crucified between two thieves and Peter has the weight of this last act that he had done that's put him in a place of brokenness and everything that he believed and hoped for had been dashed to pieces, his expectations were gone. Jesus, the King of Kings, was about to die. Nobody came to save him. A throng of angels didn't sweep down and take him off the cross the way they were all hoping that would happen, because they didn't really understand what was going on until after it had happened, and three days later, Jesus is up out of the grave. Jesus sees some of the disciples and he told them, go tell the other disciples and Peter. Why do you think Jesus did that? He didn't just say, go go tell the 12. He didn't name the 12. But the the couple of the women that he saw, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why do you think Jesus would point out, make sure Peter hears about it too? Because Jesus had taken the sins of the whole world, including the weakness of Peter's denial, down to the very gates of hell. And by his blood, That was slain to to forgive and obliterate, annihilate the sins of the whole world. He had totally covered it. He'd raised from the dead, now in newness of life, never to be conquered by death again. You remember the story? They're wrapping up the disciples. Peter goes back to fishing because all of his hopes have been dashed. He doesn't really yet necessarily have any idea of what's going on. He knows Jesus is alive. He's seen Jesus now. But, you know, he, after all, he's carrying the weight of this whole thing of, of having denied him, denied him three times. Jesus is on the shore already cooking breakfast, and Peter and a couple of other disciples are out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee struggling, trying to catch something and couldn't. And They can't quite see who Jesus is and make it out. They can smell the fish cooking already. And Jesus hollered and says, throw your boat on the other side. And Peter said, I've heard that voice before, oh my. So they threw the net on the other side and pulled it in and Peter realized it was Jesus and before they could even get the net and all the fish, they were in that net, 153, significant number. Peter strips his shirt off and he jumps in the water and swims ashore and he goes and embraces the Lord and Jesus looks at Peter three times. He says, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter said, feed my sheep. Or Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times. This time it annoyed Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes. Why? Why don't you keep asking me that? Okay, Peter, feed my sheep. I've got a mission for you. I believe that God sometimes has to break us and show us our weakness and break our self-will before we can ever recognize His strength. Read that. Put it up there for me. You can't know His strength until you've recognized your weakness. You won't pray for His strength until you realize you can't do what's in front of you. But guess what? That's when he's available to do what you can't. Now don't just lay back and just settle down and get lazy and go, well, God will take care of all of it. He'll just zip open the heavens and pay my bills and give me something to eat because God won't do what you can, but he will do what you can't. He won't do what you won't do, but he can and will do what you can't do when you put your trust in him. Last point this morning and I'm finished. I believe what took place in Peter's life when he was broken and saw his weakness was a new reliance, a new leaning into, a new dependence on the presence of God and crying out to the Holy Spirit to help him. Because I want you to think about this. As he received God's presence, this guy was scared to death of a servant girl merely implying that he was just one of Jesus' followers. Just two months prior, are you following me? 50 days or so. Six weeks, seven weeks. After the Holy Spirit comes, this guy stands up like a whole new different kind of man. Ordinary still, but there's a whole boatload of extra that's moving through him. He's put on garments of the Holy Spirit that have empowered him to do something he never would have been able to do in his own strength because until he became acquainted with his own weakness, he wouldn't lean into the strength of God. What does the Bible say? In my weakness, his strength is made perfect. It's made complete. It's finished. Now, this is what I want you to see. Let me me wrap this up today. Acts chapter 4. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and couldn't believe they were ordinary, untrained, unskilled in the scriptures, uneducated common men. There had been a notable sign. They couldn't deny it. There was no backing down from it. And so they basically warned them, don't preach in this name. We don't want to hear it. Don't bring this name of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem again. And basically Peter and John both said, look, whether we listen to you or listen to God, which one is more important, you decide. But we believe we've got to listen to the Lord. We believe we have to obey what God tells us to do. And this is what they said. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kingdom of of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Four verses and I'm finished. For truly in this city, listen, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Last verse, listen. And when they had prayed, everybody say prayed. See, this is the issue right here. We do everything else and then we pray last. We do everything else we can in our own strength, Then we go, well, I've tried everything. I guess I need to pray. What if we actually prayed on the front end and said, God, show me. God, strengthen me. God, give me boldness to speak what you would have me to speak and put the words in my mouth. Do you think things might be a little bit different? Do you think this nation might be different if the church would rise up and be everything that God has called us to be? Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. And when they had prayed, listen... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began or continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Last thing I want you to see, receive God's presence. Read it out loud with me. God dependence brings the Holy Spirit and all of his resources. You know what? It's not about training, it's not about schooling, it's not about degrees, whether it's a BA or BS or MA or PhD. Somebody said one time PhD's just piloted higher and deeper. And I'll leave that alone. I believe in education. I'm constantly learning. But your education's not gonna get what the Holy Spirit can do in a second. We need the Holy Ghost. We need him moving and working in our lives. He's the forgotten person, third person of the Trinity. Everybody knows the Father. We all know about Jesus, but we're just kind of a little bit scared of this whole Holy Ghost thing, Holy Spirit. And uh, don't want any wildfire. You know, I just want to say to you that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's, He's not going to make you get goofy or do something that you're going to do against your will. But if you'll just learn to lean into him and say, Spirit of the living God, speak to me, show me. And it's not just about, I believe in the Bible. I've read it through every year since I was 18. I've read it through at least a good 50 plus times now because some years, two or three times. And I learn something new every time. But I want to tell you, no matter how much I know, what I know is not ever going to change somebody's life. It's when the spirit of the extra comes in and, and, and when I can just get you to Jesus, get you to be in the presence of Jesus, get you hungry enough where you stop first and pray and say, Jesus, what do I need to do? And the Holy Spirit shows up in somebody's life and He does in one minute what a year's worth of counseling wouldn't change. He heals the brokenness in marriages and He, he changes the, the, the craving of the addicts. I'm thankful for programs and 12 steps and I'm thankful for counseling and all. we need all those things. But I'm going to tell you, the Spirit of God can do in one second what you can't do in a lifetime with all that stuff. You do what you can, but then you lean into God and to do what you cannot do. And that's when He shows up. Bow your heads with me, please, right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we close.